Leicester Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Good morning. This is the Farming Programme. I'm Steve Orchard. We have a rather cut-down programme this week following the sad news on Thursday evening of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Later, our regular crop and market reports and Sean Sparling has some timely agronomy advice. We were going to be talking about electric Land Rovers and considering the pros and cons of drilling a combinable crop through a permanent or semi-permanent undercrop, living mulch. You'll be able to hear both of those on next week's farming programme. We start this morning with a few words on behalf of the farming community, not just locally but everywhere, from Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward, MBE. Andrew, good morning. A sad time indeed. Where were you when the news broke? I was at my daughter's house uh, near Bourne and uh, I didn't even hear the news that she was poorly, um, you know, in the morning. So it was a real shock to me that to hear that she'd actually died and I, I was actually quite numb because she she is really and has been the most incredible woman and I would say that she's probably the most incredible woman to be ever be born in, in, uh, in our, our country, really. She's been a very, very special individual and a very, very mm. remarkable monarch. You tweeted the other day that this country will be a much worse place without you to guide us. What do you mean by that? Well, what I meant was that she's always there as a voice of reasoning, of a voice of calm, and everybody's got lots of issues and, and problems with life and, and there's issues with the country but she's always there just to bring people back on track either with a sense of humour which I think a lot of that went unnoticed she had the most incredible sense of humour and, and that was proved by, by the celebrations a few m- months ago with, with Paddington you know, and, and, that, and that was a wonderful moment and I just meant that she was there to guide the country, keep everybody calm keep everybody level and, and she had the most unique way of doing that that I don't think there's any other person on this planet that was able to do it like she could. She'll be sadly missed and she was a big supporter of the countryside and the farming community wasn't she? Oh absolutely massively Steve and again I just don't know anybody that had the support she did. She had the countryside at heart she had farming at heart. Obviously, she had Sandringham, the Sandringham estate she used to go to at Christmas time and other times of the year, Barrowmole and, and the countryside, even though she lived at the heart in the city, the countryside was at her heart. And she knew everything about farming, very knowledgeable woman, and she'd got all of her family around her who were just the same. So they are just the most unique family to me uh, ever. And we wish, of course, the new king all our best. But, of course, RIP Queen Elizabeth II. Yes, that's right, and and exactly, I think that as well, and I just think it's just a a very, very sad occasion um, for the whole country. We've also had political turmoil this week with a new Prime Minister announcing her first Cabinet. New DEFRA Secretary Ranul Jayawardena replaces George Eustace. Victoria Prentice has also moved department to be replaced by Mark Spencer. I'm not going to comment on this. Opinions vary, as you would expect. Just disappointed that one of the last departmental roles to be filled was DEFRA. Does this indicate the new PM's priorities when it comes to our industry and food production? I certainly hope not. Only time will tell. Let's give the new guys a bit of time to prove themselves and be judged by their actions, not words. Time for our weekly crop report and some timely agronomy advice from Sean Sparling in a week that's seen the reappearance of cabbage stem flea beetle and some proper old-fashioned British weather. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Funny old week of weather, really. Thunderstorms, 27-degree days, cold nights, rainfall anywhere from 5 to 35 mil. 
but back to normal really for all of us agronomists out here once again flying about trying to manage cabbage stem flea beetle so the predicted appearance of the cabbage stem flea beetle activity has now got underway some of the slower emerging all seed rape crops with small scattered plants perhaps and in those fields heavier drier cloddier fields are the worst in the main but sands are being hit too in places where they're struggling to come through we saw very little in the way of serious crop damage from cabbage stem flea beetle up to last weekend but it really has taken taken off since then nothing like as bad as it was in 2019 so far at least back then we were already losing whole fields of rape crops very quickly and re-drilling was widespread by now but this year they're more isolated and scattered with odd areas of fields and odd fields seeing the issues i don't think that it's any coincidence that my worst affected fields and most people's seriously affected fields are either close to or contain wild bird pollen and nectar or cover crop mixtures which in themselves often contain brassicas and other tasty delicacies which are attractive to cabbage stem flea beetle. It's like centre parts for cabbage stem flea beetle on some of these farms. An all-round oasis of delight and a haven for them to breed and proliferate. My most cabbage stem flea beetle hit fields are certainly worse near those areas of activity and that's where the activity is much more widespread. On the same farms and even in next door fields though, little or no apparent activity from cabbage stem flea beetle. So that's where the insecticide timing becomes so critical. We talk about applications being made made after dark as being most effective and this last seven days has shown that to be absolutely true and it's been very obvious it's been true. I've been going out at 8pm, 9pm, 10pm into the same fields with a torch and it's very very clear that activity of cabbage stem flea beetle adults increases considerably after that quarter to 10, 10pm 10 timing and if you consider that you have to be able to hit the adults to stand any chance of success with a the pyrethroid then obviously that's the time to spray. Now there is a strange phenomenon with cabbage stem flea beetle in so much as they and i know this sounds like a joke but i assure you it isn't the adults appear to play dead after they've been sprayed with a pyrethroid and then just jump up and start again a short time later i know there have been studies uh, lab studies where they appear to literally lie on their backs with their legs in the air after contact with pyrethroid and that's been claimed as pyrethroid still working on them and then 20 30 minutes later they just jump up and away they go again and it's actually factored into the studies now and we can see this in the fields where shortly after spraying you appear to have done a very very good job with dead beetles all over the ground then after maybe 20 minutes or so they've all shrugged it off and carried on where they left off it is a phenomena of simulating death that they see in the lab studies and which is probably an evolutionary step to avoid predation but it does explain why we, th we do see this in the field and I've heard of several people recently taking what they thought were dead beetles into the office and they suddenly spring to life and fly off. So KDR or knockdown resistance is what's widespread in the UK and as pyrethroids are the only class of insecticide cleared for use for cabbage stem flea beetle control in the UK and mainland Europe it's a real problem for us. But when we see failures of pyrethroid control when we use full field doses that doesn't fully correlate with the KDR genotype and it suggests that there must be another resistance mechanism present too like metabolic but irrespective of all of that pyrethroids are just not reliable so if you do use them your timing is everything and that timing's when they're there hence go after dark slugs also out there still an issue know your fields trap and treat accordingly these damp conditions and some of the open seed beds are perfect for slugs as you all know and going back by the way to that cabbage stem flea beetle job if you spray and they're still there the following 
following night, another pyrethroid will do absolutely no good. So don't waste your time and don't waste your money. Keep your fingers crossed that the oilseed rape now, with it being a bit warmer, a bit wetter, that it outgrows that damage. That's its best option, really. And remember, of course, it's the larvae which do the most damage. So it's going to be a nervy few months as they don't show their little colours until about March, do they? So still on a positive note, very little disease out there in the oilseed rape. Seed beds then being cultivated in preparation for winter wheat, winter barley. Very little, if any, blackgrass movement out here yet. But tickling up that surface and getting a flash of UV light into the seed bed may well help that change. Always best to cultivate a false seed bed to encourage a good flush of blackgrass. Obviously, costs come in to play again particularly this year but just do those numbers first and give it some thought by the way if it's brome that's your target then cultivation could be the wrong thing to do so know your fields if it's soft or rye brome leaving those seed beds uncultivated for four five or even six weeks before you do cultivate is going to help and then they want tickling over with a very shallow one or two centimeter pass to encourage the germination of those seeds but they do really need leaving on top if it's black grass sterile or great brome then cultivating early is fine down to about two inches deep maximum so again speak to your advisor if and oh by the way if you haven't already done so if you're keeping any home saved seed get it tested very low seedling disease levels this year so you may find you're able to save a few quid by drilling some untreated seed it's a bit of a risk on some levels but if the tests are showing that the seed is clear and okay and no disease to mean anything for seedling problems then it may well be worth a go mildew and rust still having issues with that in some of the beet fields out there t2 fungicides going on now in some farms just watch your harvest interval and you'll need to recoup about a ton or so back for every fungicide that you go and apply depending on what you're paying for your fungicide so just make sure you're using them widely potatoes a lot of secondary growth long sprouts secondary tubers and new shoots even coming through the ridges especially in the non-irrigated crops and where significant issues with these things are showing on your farms it's probably best to desiccate and harvest those crops as soon as possible as soon as those tubers get to the right side and we're even seeing it after the use of malaic hydroside in non-irrigated crops and that shows you that the results of uptake are pretty limited this year because of the dry so it's still hot it's still a lot wetter it's nice the swifts have gone home the swallows are still here for now but they're gathering on the wide so it's really starting to feel like autumn so let's see what the next seven days bring us thanks as ever sean that's sean sparling of sparling agronomy services back same time next week to the markets now starting with livestock from louth livestock market auctioneer oliver chapman good morning oliver good morning steve another weekly roundup from here at louth starting with the prime cattle which the steers sell to a top of 256 pence per kilo and gross 1521 pounds for je thirlby of kexby while the heifers topped at 235 pence per kilo and gross 1274 pounds for jc scolia bormba Moving on to the cool cows, which are a top for A.W. Lewis and Son of Grainthorpe at 170 pence per kilo and gross £1,067, with cool bulls selling to a top of 167 pence per kilo and gross £1,523 for J.N.S. Brooks of Strubby. This week with Store Cattle Week and saw the steers all in average £915.52 to top for R.W. Hopkinson at £1,230, while the heifers averaged £790 and top from the same good home at £1,000. Moving on to the lambs and more forwards, so an SQQ of 247.85 pence per kilo, which would probably be one of the dearer markets this week. 
with an all-in average of 240.7 pence per kilo. Top came in both sections for GW Allison of Thorsway at 282 pence per kilo or 120 pounds per head. A similar number of views on offer, however, Adira Trade leaves an all-in average of £100.75 to top for GW Allison of Thorsway at £142. Finally, store lamps for Monday, which saw 54 on offer to leave an all-in average of £83.73 with a top of £95.50 for GH Dewitt Curtin Lindsay. That wraps Monday's market up and moving on to Friday the 9th sale, which was duly started with a minute's silence uh, in respect for the passing of Her Majesty the Queen. And today saw our second breeding sheep sale, which saw breeding tups sell to a top of 750 gimmers for first-time vendors DR and RL Burns across from near Melton Mowbray, while the gimmers topped at 300 guineas for A. Wright and Son with Badger Face Texels, while the non-MV gimmers topped at £192 per head for P. L. Robinson. Store lambs all in average £79.87 with a top for a pen of ewe lambs at £118 with plenty more big nearly finished continental selling above the £100 mark. Huge thank you to everyone that's been in supported this week both across Monday and Friday sales, buyers and vendors and everyone that continues to travel and support Louth Livestock Market. Tomorrow we're back on to our regular weekly sales of prime and cool sheep and prime and cool cattle and entries are required to meet buyer demand so please don't hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Mason's and Louth Market and thank you. And with a look at the grain markets, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices spiked higher on Wednesday as the market saw the first sign that Putin's mask was beginning to slip. He claimed that the export corridor agreement may need to be reviewed as the shipments from the Ukraine were not reaching those most in need and were going to mainly the EU and Turkey. Unfortunately, many of those countries in need do not appear to have made purchases. Putin is calling for all sanctions to be removed, which are obviously impacting on Russian grain exports, which was not, we believe, part of the export corridor agreement. Unless, of course, the UN Turkey made promises that were not theirs to keep. The irony is that he is taking the moral high ground on the global food security while simultaneously taking Ukraine land and lives and shedding a nuclear facility. The monthly USDA report is due out on Monday and particular attention will be on the EU maize production and the US maize yield, with both expected to be lowered. They are unlikely to make any downward revisions to the Russian and Ukrainian exports, despite both being behind the pace needed to reach the USDA's forecast. They may also increase Russian production but ignore the Indian production and exports of both which are too high. What they do to the global demand will also need to be watched very closely. Looking at barley this week, in its oversupplied situation, malting barley hardly reacted to this week's rises in the futures market. What helped is the weakness of sterling. Its euro exchange rate touched 87p at the time of writing. Recently, it was only 84p to the euro. This makes a big difference to the free on-board market export price. So, for some of us, the game is to find the maltster who wants to buy the cargo so that we can convert this exchange rate. We are working hard on that. For whilst mainland Europe has plenty of malting barley, Spain and Portugal is our target area, as it's closer by sea to the UK than most European ports. So whilst the UK maltsters are not enthusiastic about buying more malting barley, we are optimistic that the Iberian Peninsula will be. The question mark about demand falling away for economic reasons is still there. Likewise, if German maltsters or brewers do suffer energy disruption, it will create a problem, because if a maltster loses a month of production, it's gone forever and cannot be recovered. 
Oilseed rape. General weakness has been seen in the vegetable oil market with an improved supply outlook and weaker energy markets weighing on the market. Palm oil hit a six-week closing low on Wednesday. A survey signalled that the itinerary rose above 2 million tonnes. In addition to the lower Chinese demand, general weakness in rival oils and energy markets all weighing on the sentiment. It has been reported that Malaysian palm oil planters have had to let thousands of tonnes of fruit rot as the workers' shortage carries on and has left many companies unable to increase their harvesting due to the peak production season. These plantations across the Southeast Asian nations are facing their worst labour crisis since the industry began in 1917. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for September 254 to 258, November 255 to 261, February 261 to 266 and May 264 to 269. Milling wheat premiums are currently circa £45. Feed barley for September 225 to 232, November 238 to 243 with limited carry to the end of the season with May at 240 to 245. For malting barley premiums, please speak to your open field farm business manager. And lastly, all seed rape September 475 to 482, November 480 to 484, with one pound carry per month going forward. Well, that's it for what's been a momentous week for all of us. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week's farming program, stay positive, have a good week. Rest in peace, Your Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. God save the King.